Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Patricia Ovison. And Patricia, you're, you came back. You're with us again. <laughs> Yay. Um, Patricia's another sister. We're all three sisters. I feel like we should sing sisters, <laughs> sisters. Next time. It's great. It's great. You know, when and you're since, not here. <laughs> yes. Right. Well, we also, I was going to also start with a story of our mother again, like we did last week because she just had so many good stories. But this one goes very well with kind of our theme for our discussion today. And we already mentioned last week that she had been hit by a car, and because of that, for the rest of her life, it was very painful and hard for her to walk. And so she tells the story about how it, she lived in Laguna Beach area in California, and so she was just walking along the beach and she can't walk very fast. You know, she kind of, she had a a significant limp and she's watching, you know, walking down, just enjoying her time. And all of a sudden this homeless man starts to walk beside her. And as he walks beside her, you know, instead of trying to get away, you know, she just realizes, you know, hey, I can't, you know. (laughs) And so they just kind of are walking down the boardwalk at the same time. And she describes the man, and she said, the street was busy, and because I walk with a slight limp, I thought I would look ridiculous trying to outwalk the man. So we just started walking together like we were old friends. And um, he was talking kind of to himself, and when he saw that she was listening, he began to direct his words towards her and says, it's like I say, he declared cheerily. I don't know why I bother to get up in the morning. Feet don't work, legs don't work, eyes don't work, stomach don't work, a pause. Head don't work too good neither. Something about the way he said the last sentence made me smile involuntarily. He saw my smile and exclaimed, It's the absolute truth, ma'am. Head don't work. Matter of fact, I'm just plum crazy. He said this in a voice of such great good cheer that I laughed out loud. I couldn't help it. I stopped walking and turned to look at him. He stopped walking too, but, and and he says, yep, like I say, nothing works. So I ask you, what else is there to do on a beautiful morning like this, but get up, look at the sky, laugh, and be happy. Mm -hmm. And I love that story because we're going to be talking about who's my neighbor. And sometimes I think when we talk about who's my neighbor, we want to do the big things. You know, we want to help with refugees. We want to help with what's happening in the Ukraine. We want to help, you know, with the people around the world, people in Africa. Um, but instead, who is my neighbor? Who can I help here? And Sister Bonnie Oscarson gave such a wonderful talk about this idea of who is my neighbor. And she said, what good does it do to save the world if we neglect the needs of those closest to us and those whom we love the most? How much value is there in fixing the world if the people around us are falling apart and we don't notice? Heavenly Father may have placed those who need us closest to us, knowing that we are best suited to meet their needs. So I wanted to ask you, you know, these words of Sister Oscarson, how do those have to do with your own lives? How have you helped your neighbor as we start talking about these concepts today. Yeah, I love that quote too. I um I feel like it it makes 
it seem less overwhelming the serving because um it feels it feels like i can serve my neighbor i can't solve uh, the, all those big problems. all the big problems um and it doesn't mean that we're not going to be aware or you know put our head in the sand certainly but it's definitely um trying to do we can make the most difference locally you know sort of um i like that i do think it's interesting because sometimes i feel like the lord puts you where you're needed mm-hmm. and guides you to the people she says that, that you should help and so especially with us who have moved it seems like every place i've moved i found a different corner to help in so it, it is interesting and it does make you feel a little bit better that sometimes when you have children that may have wacky ideas or stretch you a little or do things you don't agree with you're like well the lord put them here for a reason <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe it was just I to make me skill, grow right? but yeah, um true. but yeah the, the big difference which it leads into forgiveness is the big difference is when we when we're making a difference locally we have the relationship on top of the service yeah you know and with the relationship comes the mess and the the challenges of you know working through, you know, them offending you or whatever happens um, on top of the service. I do want to put in a plug for, as you already said, about finding neighbors internationally, you know, making sure that we do reach out, that yes, I completely agree, but as we talk about our neighbor, you know, how do we reach out to people who are different, who live in different areas, who, you know, have different circumstances in terms of what can I do to help those people as well, as well as my next door neighbor, exactly. and as well as my children, mm-hmm. and right those to intentionally me. diversify your mm-hmm. life, exactly not to just live in a bubble. And so I do think there's. I, I'm going to say when you have children that are struggling, sometimes the bubble is necessary. Definitely. But when you have the leftovers, there are seasons where you may need to stretch, and really make that effort to to do more. I agree. Well, and that goes right into this idea of forgiveness and that sometimes we need to forgive ourselves or forgive our neighbors, you know, before we serve them. So what does the Lord say about that? Well, I love the start of this scripture because um, it's kind of Peter, again, trying to be a little bit, um, I mean, he just has such a great personality (laughs) and it comes out in the scriptures because he's saying... um, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And he's trying to sound so magnanimous right. by saying seven times because it had just come up that, um, you know, that the rabbis there were saying you should forgive people three times. That was the, the given law was that you so forgive your neighbor double. three times. Double. So he's <laughs> over double <laughs> and he's offering this thing. And so I think it's, and it's also interesting that the Savior then uh, responds with um, until seven times, but until 70 times seven, um, because then you, it echoes back to um, in Genesis, like the total opposite, which is when Cain, Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lemek 70 and sevenfold, 70 and sevenfold. So it's like, um, it's a it's an interesting allusion. Wow. You know, it, to, that he, uh, right. to a previous scripture that the Savior you know, he's really good at those. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> so no, since it's his words. Yeah. Yeah, he's really, really good at those. Um, so the one with evil, like the ultimate exactly. evil, ultimate righteousness. righteousness. Nice. Exactly. It's it's really clever. Um, 
but then the parable of the unforgiving servant is there's so much to it. Um, so I just want to go into it a little bit. Um, so overview, um, it's about a certain king who has brought to him his servant who owes him 10,000 talents, which is an unpayable amount, would have been about a billion, a billion dollars in yeah. today's money. Um, and the Lord says, uh, it commands him to sell his wife or, I mean, to sell everything and even servants and um, at least do what you can to pay it. And then, um, and the servant, this is what I think is so interesting is because it echoes then later on, the servant fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. So uh, one one commentary I read, which I thought was interesting, said the uh, people listening to the story might have actually found that to be humorous. Right. Because no they knew <laughs> that that was unpayable. And also it was it was funny that he would say patience, you know, like um, like as though he's now uh, lecturing the king, mm-hmm. this king to saying, you know, have patience. Um, it just shows this kind of just such a lack of understanding on the servant's part. And then the Lord... Um, was still moved with compassion and forgave him the debt. And so um, then in the parable, the same servant goes out and literally finds, and it's almost, it's almost like in the story as though, um, you know, when someone is, feels ashamed, they want to put someone else down, you know, that sort of human nature. Definitely. I don't know if it's this, but that's sort of what it feels like. It does feel like it. Um, Yeah. It's not going to help the debt at all. He wants to put someone in the same position that he had felt. And so he finds one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred pence and he took him by the throat. So very aggressive and violent saying, pay me what thou owest. And the fellow servant fell down and um, says, the same says, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. But he would not. And he went and cast him into prison. So um, then the Lord calls him and says, oh, thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt. And um, shouldn't thou have compassion on thy fellow servant? And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors. And um, I like that he, you know, it. it's the tormentors to me is what happens to all of us when we do very wrong. You know, you are delivered to your tormentors. Yeah. He would have been tormented when he came to an understanding of what he had done, you know, um, and delivered to that. I love I love this um, parable because I feel like it shows sort of the lowest part of humanness, but yet... <laughs> Yet there's pieces of us in it, even though, you know, I would never do that, (laughs) but there's pieces of us in it. And um, this is my favorite forgiveness quote, so I have to say it, which is, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Ooh, that is amazing. So I like that one. Mm -hmm. Every single one of us needs to forgive. Right. And it's really hard. Yeah. It's hard to forgive. And it's interesting when you think of it in terms of this, this one is he put himself in prison. Mm-hmm. Again, the, the, the servant who had been let free of his debt, he then imprisoned himself because he couldn't forgive. forgive. And um, I also like, 
this idea of forgiveness being divine um, and um, <clears throat> just the Shakespearean to err is human, to forgive is divine. You know, I, I love that, that 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 concept is from God, you know, that forgiveness is from God. Um, so as our case study, another case study beyond this parable, um, I thought we could think about the bishop from Les Miserables. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? Yes, because I love him. And and my daughter is in the yes. Broadway production. Oh, so of course, I, was, I, I, I watch it, love it many, many times. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, he's just such a great Example. literary figure mm-hmm. of forgiveness. And um, it's interesting, too, because it, when um, I had my first baby and in those months of like, you know, nothing to do. It was like the winter in New York City in a small apartment. Mm-hmm. I actually read Les Mis. The whole thing. Oh, <laughs> the whole thing or the, the thing. One? The whole thing. Yeah, it was wow. for a, a book club. They, we okay, we, we challenged ourselves. It is amazing because it is so much um, philosophy. Yeah, it's 14 chapters history. on the bishop's back life. Right. Which it's, I read that recently, just like it's so two weeks ago. Long. I don't know why. I it's so think. long about his backstory, which I think you don't see unless you've read it. And um, so, what's the backstory? Uh, well, he was really wealthy, and um, had this really easy life. And then the interesting thing I found the quote, um, and. Victor Hugo says, was he, this is the bishop, was he in the midst of these distractions? He was, this is when he was like um, a, a young man and he was touring Europe basically in, in sure, Italy. At the money and at some point, so in the midst of these distractions, these affections which absorbed his life, he was suddenly smitten with one of those mysterious and terrible blows which sometimes overwhelm by striking his heart, a man whom public catastrophes would not shake by striking his existence and his fortune so somehow something happened and he doesn't even say what he came, comes away from this trip and decides to become a priest wow. and serve um, the poor for the rest of his life and and it goes into great detail about like he doesn't take any of the um, pay from the church he gives it all I mean he lives he lives very simply. very very simply but any of the riches he has is left over from this past life. So those well, silver, the silver candlesticks and everything. Those are all left over past. from his past life, and he, and he's just he doesn't care at all of them. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so you might tell the story for those that may not know it. Oh, yes. When, yes. So that when, um, when Jean Valjean arrives at the bishop's doorstep in the middle of the night, the bishop lets him in, and he's this... Uh, incredibly ex-convict yes right. and nobody uh, would dirty, let him in no starting. one has yes um dirty man in every way and um he gives him food and a place to sleep and a bed and there he's sleeping without any um sort of a way to be safe from him you know what i mean uh, there's no there's no effort on his part to keep himself safe from him which i think is really important and um and then he, uh, when he leaves in the morning, Jean Valjean takes the silver and the silver candlesticks and and um, departs. And that's how Jean Valjean is caught again by the police with the silver and brought back. And the bishop says, oh, no, I gave them to him. I know. I just love that story. But it changes. 
Um, and I think had this servant gone to the other servant and said, because my debt is forgiven, I forgive you. It could have changed someone. Right. And he didn't. Instead, exactly. he destroyed someone. Yeah. And I do think that is so incredible. He that, does. He did that the exact our opposite. Mm-hmm. Can have such an outgoing effect. Mm-hmm. Can shake someone's life. Yeah. If we're willing. But it can also shape our life. I mean, that's the right. beauty of forgiveness. It shapes both mm-hmm. of those lives. Right. The person For that the gives and the person that gains the forgiveness. Well, it's hard when, when the person isn't changed. When you forgive yeah. them and they're still just, <laughs> they go yeah. borrow from someone else. And and, um, and that, ha- that and that happens and a that lot. You have to freely, but have to freely forgive. It frees yourself. Mm-hmm. 70 so times 70. You know, I, you know, know. I look at that and I say, okay. It's not worth counting because I don't want to be offended. That exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't start. And, his, and the Savior's point obviously was it's an infinite Just don't, don't count. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I think too that that's the that's that's what I would end with about the bishop is just to say that he didn't care what happened to the silver, right? You know. Well, oh, that is beautiful. He this, just cared about the Lord. Mm-hmm. He did. People. He just cared about the Lord, and that brings us to the seventy who do care about the Lord. And I I did want to share this is you know Luke chapter ten, the very beginning of the chapter, and it, it's. It's interesting, and like I, I keep on bringing this back because I think all too often when we're assigned chapters, we need to look at what the verses were just before that chapter to get it into context. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the verse just before chapter 10, it truly is the introduction to the call of the 70. And it says, And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so right after that verse, he then mm. calls the 70. And so basically he's calling these men, These he, he says, after these things, meaning after this wonderful sermon that he just gave about what it truly means to serve him, he says, after these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place whither he himself could, would come. Therefore, he said, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers unto his harvest. Go your ways. And he said, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. And then he goes on and talks about what they're supposed to do. And he talks about how they're supposed to, you know, not carry purse or script, how, you know, he also says, you know, bless the homes that you go into that also bless you. And then talks about, you know, letting off the dust of your feet, you know, in terms of, you know, if they don't listen to you. But then in verse 16, he says something very powerful, especially for all missionaries. He says, he that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. And I couldn't help but think about the 70 today and realize this truly is a pattern, not just in the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. We also have references to this same pattern. And then um, Jesus Christ appointing these men is similar to the pattern that happened in section 107. And I'm going to whip out my um, wonderful Doctrine and Covenants. 
where we also have the 70. And I want to just read these verses in 107 because I want you to think about what the 70 do today. And it says, The 70 are also called to preach the gospel and to be special witnesses unto the Gentiles and to all the world, thus differing from other officers in the church and the duties of their calling. And they form a quorum equal in authority to that of the 12 special witnesses or apostles just named. And every decision made by either of these quorums must be the unanimous voice of the same. That is, every member in each quorum must agree to its decisions in order to make their decisions of the same power or validity one with another. So they are supposed to be united in all their decision-making, but also they are specially called to preach the gospel and bear testimony of Jesus Christ to all the world, similar to the 12 apostles. You know, that they are also under the 12 apostles and that quorum, they're under that quorum to have, you know, that special mission. So I wanted to ask you, um, I know that you've had experiences with members of the 70, Patricia, and and I was just curious in terms of some of your thoughts of, of these wonderful men who dedicate their lives to preaching the gospel. Yeah, it's interesting um, the amount of sacrifice that I have been able to see. You know, my father-in-law was in the 70, and um, it was particularly hard because um, when he was first called... Um, their youngest son was still kind of hoping to spend some time with his father. You sure, know, they, sure. um, and it, those were the, those were the real sacrifices was, um, was how you spent your time. You know, I mean, then he was, he had to move to another country and, um, and, but I think with these scriptures as well, some of the things that you'll read it doesn't feel like everybody could do this. Does that does that make sense? Like sure. there's certain the Savior gives certain things that you kind of go, well, this can't apply to everybody because this wouldn't work if everybody did that, right? Mm-hmm. Some of us have to make a living, or and some have, of us have we to have to be home. You know, we there's some practical things, things that have to happen. Right. So it's interesting when you think about the Savior is saying that we're going to take these certain people and put them in. Special have them call. sacrifice to a level that not everybody else could sacrifice. And that's that is an interesting thing because you they're on the shoulders of the other people. You know what I mean? There has to be family members and people supporting them to allow them to do that. And um I don't know, it just makes for sort of a beautiful pyramid of sacrifice. And and then the blessings will flow because of that. But it, that. it it needs to be recognized all of the sacrifices underneath that person being able to do that. And I love those final words of, you know, if if people follow your words, they're following my words. And if they despise you, they're despising me. And I think of that not just with the 70, but all missionaries in yeah. terms of their work throughout the world as they go as servants of the Lord, you know, preaching the gospel that... Um, uh, it's amazing when we were working with the missionaries too in Brazil, how just wearing that placard, you know, just wearing that, you know, that has the name of the Savior, oftentimes people, they might not listen to our words or do it, but because I was wearing that, I felt safe. I knew people 
would respond to the Savior being, you know, right here, you know, <laughs> near my heart, that they would see that and, and know that my words were his words, even though sometimes they wouldn't necessarily join the church, they still would respond positively because yeah. of our message. So it's interesting because for me, I have very little connection to the 70 other than watching General Conference. But I Which love that the 70 is there because it's another testament that we are the restored church of Jesus Christ, that the there were 70 in the Sanhedrin. So when we talk about the Sanhedrin, the people that ruled over Jerusalem at the time of Christ, there were 70. And then when um, Moses, remember Jethro, came and said, you're doing too much. And then he set up 70 that were the judges and would help to, you know, lead the people. And so this idea of the 70 is awesome to me because it's like another check mark of things that make me feel like it really is the restored gospel. And that makes me happy. That makes <laughs> so, me happy, too. Yeah. That, that does. Is. Well, and... Going along with that, how can we um, think about the Good Samaritan? I'm trying to think of a way to put those There's two no together. <laughs> um, other than the fact that anything that has to do with the gospel, you know, we love. Know. And the Good Samaritan is definitely about the gospel of Jesus right. Christ. Well, um, I love the story of the Good Samaritan, which is in interestingly that same verse as you come to the end of it, that Christ um, is approached by a lawyer, and a lawyer is another name for a scribe, right? Who came and asked, um, I do want to say that all lawyers are not bad. Mm-hmm. I know they no. really do have a bum rap. I know. Well, but, her husband's know, a lawyer. Still, so I know. I know he's I know. a good man. I, I, I'm a lawyer. I know. So let's look in 25. It says, The lawyer came tempting him. So his intent was to trick the Lord. And um, it is interesting because he said, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Christ said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And the answer he gave was interesting to me because I was like, Would you have answered that? that way because I didn't know that I would but um, in ancient um, Jewish law most one of the laws of Moses was every morning they would tie the Teflon that is called Teflon Teflon okay mm-hmm. to their um, arm and it, and it wrapped around seven times very hard to remember their bondage and that they were free from bondage but I love the fact that it's like Teflon in right. that it was bonded <laughs> and it onto was their tight. arms. It was tight. Right. And there's a certain way to do it. And then in. every morning they read or they recite, because as you get older, you're going to memorize these scriptures. But there's two in Exodus and two in Deuteronomy. And the ones in Exodus talk about being freed from bondage. And then the one in Deuteronomy says, Hear, O Lord, the Lord our God is one God, and thou shalt love the Lord with all thine heart with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee shall be in thine heart. And so every morning, every covenant Jew recites this word unless it's the Sabbath or holiday. And that even happens today among Orthodox Jews. They recite this. Did you know that? I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So the, the little uh, mezuzah they put on their doors, mm-hmm. this is the scripture. Mm-hmm. It's about loving the Lord with all your heart, 
and <laughs> here I am crying again. They, um, but they touch it every time they go through That's that to remember to love the Lord. And I thought, oh, man, we say our morning prayers, but how often do we say, I need to love the Lord in those prayers? Do we say it every morning? Do we think about it that often? But the um, other part to love your neighbors yourself is in the Le Leviticus version of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. And in the Leviticus version, it says this, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear a grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. And I've read that a lot of people um, debate on how this should be interpreted because it says the children of thy people. So does that mean that we only have to love our neighbors that are of the covenant or do we have to love everyone? So it was a hot debate. So when he said, who is our neighbor, mm -hmm. it was something that had been well debated during this period of time. And so he tells the story, the well-known story that we all know. So um, a man falls among thieves and as he falls among thieves, he lays, um, and I was thinking, um, they stripped him of his raiment, so he's almost naked, which mm -hmm. is embarrassing. And they wounded him, and they leave him half dead. And by chance, there came a certain priest. And I thought of Mother and that person by the street, the homeless man. I, that we talked and about. And I said, I can't believe when I read that story that she wouldn't have, she could have slowed down or gone the other way or done something, but she was being the good Samaritan. She was she being was the good Samaritan. She was making to talk to him. And it, and it may have been, you know, you wonder when he sees someone beaten by the road, are the thieves nearby? Do I need sure. to hurry for my own safety? Yeah, sometimes it's just making someone feel like they're an equal human to you. <laughs> right. And right. seen. And mm -hmm. seen. And seen. I, mean, I know. Right. So it is interesting. The first person that passes by is a priest. And a priest would have been like a bishop that it would have worked among the congregations of the synagogues. The second person that passed by was a Levite who worked in the temple. So it would have been a temple worker. And, um, and still they passed by. And then the one who stopped was the Samaritan, who the Jews would avoid Samaria and walk much further to be around them. But the Samaritan stopped for him and helped him. And... Um, it is interesting because we talk about injuries, and I even watched the church's video on the Good Samaritan, which is so sweet. It's beautiful. But um, again, I'm thinking, we all have cell phones. Just call 911. But I think that we have a lot of injury around us all the time. And some of it isn't as clear as someone naked. Well, actually, sometimes they are in that their emotions are stripped naked. Right. You know, they walk around with a big chip on their shoulder. So they come to church and they're just so grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. Or um, they are just, you can tell they're hurt. They avoid eye, eye contact. They're not used to connection. And, um, and it's easy to try and avoid people like that. And so um, I thought about how so often our wounds are more in our culture, right. more concealed. So I did want to tell you an experience where I felt like I was both the priest and the Good Samaritan later in that um, one of my dearest friends, I was at church and I was going to a new ward the first week and I walked down the hall 
And there's this woman screaming at the bishop like F-bombs, like really bad. <laughs> and she'll agree. And, um, and, and she marches out of the church and slams the door behind her. And I thought, oh, I am not going to get involved in that. I am going to stay clear because Greg's like, Christine, don't do it. So um, I go to church. And then the next week I was praying about a walking partner because I wanted to start walking. And um, I just felt like that day it was going to happen. And I was like, okay, we'll see. So I went to Fred Meyer, walk into the store, and I see the woman that was screaming at the bishop. And I say, hi. And she says, hi. And I think I am going to avoid her. So I walk a different aisle down the grocery store, and then she's coming the other direction. And I'm like, this is so weird. So then I turned. I didn't even buy anything in that row. And then I went to another row. And then she was walking down the same aisle because she's trying to avoid me. Yeah. <laughs> so finally, like the third time, I turned to her and I just said, I wanted to start walking and I need a walking partner. And she's like, fine, we'll do it together. And so we start walking together every day. And as we walk together, um, we're able just to talk and, um, and just hear her life of abuse from the time of childhood and her incredible, miraculous um, conversion. And um, her husband, I won't go into too much, but it is interesting. Her husband's name was Nephi, and oh, she I had thrown it. a big party, and he was um, strewn out and stoned on her couch. And that's how she met him, because she had thrown a big... <laughs> So Nephi was stoned on the couch. Right. Okay. So she, he Not just, like rock stone. No, no. no. So he never left. So they just kind of started hanging out and living together and life was good. And then she went to meet his parents. And there were these three old men on a picture on the wall. And she said, is that your grandpa? But why are there three of them? That doesn't make sense. And he's like, it's the prophet. And she's like, prophet, what are you talking about? And he's like, yeah, it's the head of our church. And, and she's like, well, are they full of it and she he says no they're real I just don't like it and she's like if they're real you have to follow them so she decided to find out if they were real and she did but then she still struggled with other things and so the minute did her husband come back to the church he just followed her but his heart was never in it so she was the one that was so faithful that helped her best friend to join the church that had done all these things but then because of those struggles um when I saw her the bishop was taking away her temple recommend, which had meant so much to her. So we went back to the temple, and the temple became such a gift as we went together. And she, I think it's for the last five years, has gone every single month, has never missed a month. Good for her. And going to the temple, but she brought so much healing to my life as well. Sorry. Like the forgiveness um, that I really do believe that the Samaritan that stopped that there were gifts that would have come to him for actually stopping. So my question is, in your lives, do you have those moments where you felt like you were the Samaritan? The Samaritan. Or or the the Levite, which is just as important, Mm -hmm. I think, to recognize when we could turn around if you had those experiences. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately... At the times where you're the Levite, sometimes you see it after the fact. Oh, that's true. You, you don't know, even recognize. You don't recognize it at the time. But or you I, think someone else will mm-hmm. take care of it. Yep. Yep, for sure. I've definitely had those. I don't even want to go into them, but you, they just stick with you. They, they do. Stick with you, you can't. And yeah. you think you don't know that part of the story in this, mm-hmm. but you wonder if the the Levite and oh. the you know and the priest 
didn't leave and go, oh, brother. Yeah. You know, I should have. Yeah. Or may have run really back bad. and it was already gone. It's already gone. Haven't you seen someone by the side of the road and then you felt so bad and then you went back and they were gone? And then something and you were else just happened. Like, oh, I should yeah. have done I knew that. I should have. Right. And so I do think living our lives so that we're never one of those other, that we do stop, that yeah. we are the one, that we're just willing to take that pause. But in that, I will say this. Listen to that little voice inside of you. And if it's not safe, don't. <laughs> because but it usually is uncomfortable. That's it may not true. It is usually is, is socially uncomfortable. I mean, this was socially uncomfortable. So often when we have to be the Good Samaritan, we have to be able to defy what is socially normal. Mm-hmm. Well, and you do know, like when you're walking in New York City, the no eye contact is a thing. Mm-hmm. And if you do focus, I remember we were in downtown Portland and there was a, a lady out front that was screaming at everyone walking by. And my sweet George, you know, George, who's just the nicest guy you've ever met. He just looked at her and she's like, you're looking at me. And we're like, George, don't look. look. And she follows <laughs> us down the street screaming at him because he couldn't help not look. Yeah. Well, but see, I think that one of the things to realize in this, they did. I mean, it specifically says in the story that they saw him. Right. You know, that there was, a, you know, obviously they walked around. But I think there that's was the a, emotional walking around is not doing the eye contact. You see them, but you just don't, you don't engage. One of, we do need to engage. One of my favorite stories about this, though, has to, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, the writer, um, kind of took a study, but he, you know, writes it so beautifully. He loves to take studies and then make them popular, right? Oh. And one of the studies he talks about are, are some people that were getting ready to enter the ministry. And so they were put into a, you know, a place far where they had to walk, uh-huh. you know, to, to go and give the, the, the sermon. And so they're there and they're supposed to give a sermon on the Good Samaritan. And what they didn't realize was that part of this study, they were going to have people all along the way that were poor or sick or, and they were, you know, they were actors. They were people that weren't really, but right. they were supposed to see, okay, would the people, would these yeah. men of the cloth, you know, stop and help them? And of course, they didn't because they were so focused on this sermon. Well, and he was, they were told they only had so much time. Right. So they were in a hurry. Get all the way across campus. So there was a time limit mm-hmm. that, that, which is our whole life it. is a time limit, right? Yeah. I mean, so we're constantly feeling like, oh, I don't have enough time, no matter whether you really have enough time or not. But I, I really loved reading that because I, I could, first of all, relate how often I just don't let myself have the time. And I use the excuse, well, I'm going to go do something good. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay if I just walk by because I'm going to go do something good later. Both of those people, right? the priest and the Levite, were on their way to do good. Exactly. They were both were good. But it is interesting because the key of the two that went on was probably a matter of not enough time, or like the story you told of the two that were. And um, I loved this from um, Sister Marriott that said, it is now with our mortal limitations that the Father asks us to love when loving is most difficult, to serve when serving is inconvenient, to forgive when forgiving is soul-stretching, how? How will we do it? We earnestly reach for Heavenly Father's help in the name of His Son and do things His way instead of pridefully asserting our own will. And I thought 
This is so interesting how it connects to the crumbs of bread that we talked about. Oh, definitely. How we don't have enough time. We may not have enough resources to really help people how we'd want. But as we turn to the Lord and have that feeling of abundance, the Lord will give us what we need when it's in the service of others. Yeah. Well, Elder Ballard had such a wonderful talk where he talked about how we are like a beehive in each one of us. And he said, wouldn't it be wonderful to be like the bees in a beehive where each one of us goes out and just do one little thing? You know, we just, but, and yet what beautiful things were able to come to pass by just doing these small little things. So I love the fact that the Samaritan too was on a time crunch because he he takes him to the inn, and right? And he says, I'll come back when and my I'll, business is done. I'll come back when my business is done. So it's not like he has plenty of time or, you know, he's independently wealthy with plenty of time to spare. Instead, you know, he also, just like the other that two. That was such a good point that I have not mm-hmm. seen before. Did you see that before? Or was that new? Yeah, well, and I love, I have I have seen it before because I, I love this story because it's like the Savior figured out all of our arguments for why oh, we it. might and not do this. Yeah, right. and they're all in there. That yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because he gives him the money at the end. He brings him to the place. He says, Right. And then he says, I mean, I'm going to check back later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the follow up was the thing that got me because I'm really good at that first initial, like when someone moves in, you right. bring something. Right. And then again, I get my check mark and I don't have to worry about it. But following up to see if they're getting to know people, yeah. if they're comfortable, I often don't do that part because I feel like I did my check. Well, so. it's like women and new babies. Right. I mean, we all go when somebody has a new baby, bring them food, take care of them. Mm-hmm. But it's usually three or six months after having the right. baby when you really need this. I think it's five weeks. It's right before the six week window. <laughs> when you hit five weeks, that is the and hardest I one. I need help. I know. Well, as we talk about this, it kind of goes to a second story that I just love, but also has a lot to do with the excuses that we make and this idea of you know, what are you, a Mary or a Martha? How often have you heard that? You know, and and so I love the Mary Martha story. Yeah. But I'm excited to hear your take on it. Yeah, I do too. It's such a short little excerpt that we talk about all All the the time time. because it is, and and it's just wonderful too, because it's, it's women um, interacting with the Savior alone. And also, um, you can tell they have a relationship with him. And so... Um, so it's two covenant <clears throat> women. Yes. And it's um, when Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she may help me, that she help me. And um, our, our, I was talking to our sister Geraldine about this, our other sister, and her comment was that um, she loves that Martha was good enough friends with the Savior that she was comfortable complaining in front of him. I know. You know, that. which really is true. <laughs> would you force her to get great. up and help yes. a little bit? Like that, that shows a level of relationship that, so sweet. that she had with the Savior, which I love that. And um, Jesus said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. So I think another um, thing 
that is interesting about that. And you were talking about the one thing. In my mind, what the one thing is the sitting and listening to the Savior. Mm-hmm. That's the one thing. And it's interesting that in this in this story, it's not suggesting that there was good, better, best again. <laughs> there right. isn't a good, better, best. It's a singular, this is the one thing you should be doing here. There's not like, oh, this is also good. It's not even also good. Like that other stuff doesn't matter in comparison. If you have the chance to sit at the Savior's feet and listen to him, That's who cares saying. about the other stuff? And I think um, I think sometimes when we read this story, we might think that um, uh, might think of it in a way that she was she was busy doing this other good thing that had to be done. And what he's saying is it doesn't even have to be done. Right. Like it wasn't even. And I think he says this to the disciples too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they have to forego the mortal coils, <laughs> you know, and all these things that we get sort of um, stuck on in mortality. And I think he tries to teach the people that he's with over and over again that um, you just have to look at it differently. These things that you're focused on are wrong. Um, but I don't know what you think about that. Wow. Okay. That is very an extreme view of Mary and Martha. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to be harsh or anything. <laughs> no, that's great because I hate dishes. So I'm Yeah, happy. yeah, yeah. Get rid of the <laughs> get rid of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, just uh, take out DoorDash and yeah. let's just have fun and was a, let's, that works just, for me. <laughs> read scripture yeah. together. Yes. Women read scripture together. That's what love that. That's right. You could do the other that's later is that's so interesting because I it is. I have fallen in that, and even another, I guess it'll be three episodes ago, I was saying it was the better part. And they're like, don't compare, don't compare. It's not and I've always it's compared, because you do have this person that is way more external into external things. And then you have Mary that seems much more heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And we all know women that fall in both of those categories. Yes. And both of those categories are valid and different mm-hmm. and unique. And we all have different gifts. So when you see them at their, you know, in their lives, you're like, oh, I know women that would just like throw everything to the wind and sit there. And then I know women that would be worried about the structure, you know, mm-hmm. that would be trying to fix everything. So it's it's hard when he says, but then you're like, there could still be a woman listening to that structure at her, his feet. But... um. I do have this quote from President Hale who talked about choosing the good part and we can do that by going to the temple and how often um, we think that we don't have time or we're worried about other structures and we don't just leave everything when we feel inspired to go. And And that's an argument because that's a binary action. You're going to the temple or you're not going to the temple. It's one you're listening the to the Savior or you're not listening to the Savior. Oh, interesting. You know. there's, when you make the choice to do it, yeah. you don't have the ability to like, <laughs> Yeah, it's not like listening to a Zoom he meeting at church saying, where you could be cleaning your fix house Fix dinner and listen to me. He was <laughs> saying, come hair. sit here and listen to Which me. is so interesting. So this, it just said, temples are the greatest university in learning known to man. Endowment instruction gives guidance as to how we should conduct our lives here in mortality. And so spending that time in the temple will help us with every other part of our life. And I do have to say, even with these new changes, I love the new temple. I mean, it's not new because the covenants are identical, 
but those changes clarify and expand and are so glorious. It is just worth going. I would just say amen. But also similar to this that we're talking about how the good part, the one needful thing is to sit at the feet of the Savior. That's exactly what we do when we're at the temple. We're fitting, sitting at the feet of the Savior and listening to his words, listening to his doctrine, his gospel. And, and because of that, that is the good part. That is the needful thing. And, and you're right. I do want to just say, Martha, still, we need to realize, was an extremely faithful woman. Yeah. And as we talked about what happened with Lazarus mm-hmm. and you know the raising of her, her brother, that it was Martha that showed such great faith in the Savior in terms right. of her faith that he could actually I know do it. I know that you I know you could have raised my right. my brother. And so I do think that we also have to say, yes, maybe in this one circumstance. Yeah, but she she had a relationship with him. But so she he had could, a relationship. He could and that's the other thing about when you know someone or care for somebody, you can correct them and they can take correction. Right. Know? Without being offended. Yes. And I don't think she was offended. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think sometimes we're offended for her, and yes. maybe that's why. <laughs> that is, and, that and is maybe exactly that's why we right. kind of change. You know how we are, are we a Mary or Martha, I and it's know. okay what Martha did, and maybe that's why because we kind of feel sorry for Martha that you know that that happened. But on the other hand, maybe we're not learning the lesson the Lord wants us to learn. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, and then when we talk about women, we also need to talk about children. And becoming as a little child, I I do want to just say um, one quick thing, just as preparation for this discussion. I can still remember our father talking to me one time, and I'm sure he might have had the same conversation with you. How difficult he had with this idea of becoming as a little child. Oh, because his point was, he said, oftentimes I see little children as being selfish, kind of fighting over toys. You right. know, you know, doing all these things where I'm like, I'm supposed to be coming like that. Yeah. And childish. so that childish, mm-hmm. exactly, rather it's than childlike. It's cute because Paul had the same issue. So it's funny because Paul, um, in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, be men in understanding, but children in malice. So I think he had either read or heard that Christ said, "Be as a child," mm. and he was like, "Let me clarify." Yeah, let's let's define <laughs> only what this in means. some ways. So we're in Matthew 18, mm-hmm. and it's at the very beginning of Matthew. And the question that the disciples ask is childish, <laughs> because they ask the Lord, "Who is the greatest in the kingdom mm, of heaven?" Yes, is yeah. That such- yeah. <laughs> There's no stupid questions. Who's your, that's close. Who's your no, that's right. <laughs> no stupid questions. But Jesus um, calls a little child unto them and sets him in the midst and says, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted, which is first. So if you're converted and then become as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. We so often don't leave that first part, the conversion, that we're connected to the Lord. So um, it really is important that we're converted. And then um, whoever shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest. And who shall receive one child in my name, um, little child in my name receiveth me. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just wanted to talk about what it means to become a child. And I was interested by this because 
I recently pulled up an article in Psychology Today about parent-child relationships. And it was actually connected to something totally not related to this. But then I was like, oh, this is so interesting. And in it, they talked about how an infant-toddler stage, your number one concern is your caregiver. And your caregiver, which usually is your mother or your parents, are everything to you. They're, they're what matter when you're looking at um, getting feedback and, and interaction. Everything is based on that caregiver. But then as children increase to school age and become true children, they have this balance of their parents matter, but their peer group begins to matter more or as much. And there's a balance between the two. And then they grow up and become teenagers. And the key for most teenagers is that peer group becomes way more important. Mm -hmm. But they're still connected to their parents. Right. And then finally, as an adult, you can choose if you want to totally eliminate your parents from your life or if you want to keep them as much or as little as you want. Mm -hmm. And so if we look at parent-child relationships as being a child and he wants us to be a child, then we can see the difference. I In that article, I just wanted to read this one. It said, during the elementary school years, the child becomes increasingly interested in peers, but this should not be taken as a sign as dis, of disinterest. Sorry. The parent-child relationship continues to, that can't be the right word. It says remain. <laughs> the, um, to, be, to remain, there it is, remain the most important um, influence in the child's development. So the parent-child relationship is the most important, although the peers are becoming important. So it's funny that as I look at this, you come back to being a child if you're converted. Is that what President mm -hmm. Nelson said? And we've talked about so much making our relationship with Christ our highest priority. Mm -hmm. That's how we become a child. But well, and I also, you know, as I was reading this too, the thought that came into my mind is as we are converted, we become children of Christ. I mean, that's, we become his sons and, right, his, daughters. and his daughters. And so like you and were, we're describing, born again. exactly. And as a child, we have to rely on that parent mm -hmm. And if we we don't maintain that childlike dependence upon the Savior and instead look to those around us for that dependence, that's when we lose that childlike faith in the Lord and actually start getting too involved with the world. So I do think, I just, I love that vision yeah, of how too. important it, was, it is to be We dependent. all love, like as parents, that little child phase where you're kind of worshipped it's so great. It's so you great. know. I mean, they I do. Love they babies. love you so love much. True. Mm -hmm. They need you and they love you. And you walk in the room and they just are so glad to see you. You know, that's true. There's so there's so few relationships like that. That's interesting. And I did go back through um, in that same place where it talks about becoming as a child. Right. It's interesting that King Benjamin goes through the attributes that we should have to become a child of Christ. When he says, become as a little child, that we have to yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and put off the natural man, that we become a saint through the atonement of Christ, so we become cleaner, that we become as a child submissive, meek, humble, patient, and full of love, mm -hmm. which is what you were saying, just that you have such love for everyone, and then you're willing to submit to whatever the Father has for you. 
And so, and children do, like you'll say, okay, we're going to do this. And they're like, okay, well, it's changing. Okay. So there's uh, that willingness to submit is a big one. And then the very end of this scripture block that I didn't um, focus on, but I did want to just mention was that whosoever offends one of these children, that it's better than a millstone were hung around their neck. And, um, and I just think that loving children and lifting them and caring is such a part of being part of the Lord's plan. I, I just, and it is a talent. I mean, it's, no, it's not a talent, it's a skill because you get better at it the more you do it. I agree. So the more you're around children, the more that you, you know, love them and are patient with them, you kind of get calloused because you put up with the noise. You who didn't have a, I had a snow day. Yeah, (laughs) but I do think there is such a gift in showing love to children. Well, and, and I was going to talk about the offense too, but also how not just offending children, but also offending people in general in our families, our neighbors. I mean, going back, bringing it back to this idea of who is our neighbor and how do we treat our neighbor? How do we treat each other? But if we turn to 18.6, he said, you know, as you already talked about, but who so offend one of these little ones, which believe in me. So I think that's important. It were better for him that a millstone would be hanged around his neck. If you look at the offend, the word there, it means to stumble also. So, but whoso shall cause someone to stumble, one of these little ones. And so I, I like that interpretation because in some ways it's also, I'm, I'm thinking of new members of the church mm-hmm. who are still, um, you know, childlike in their faith. And then they, they come to a ward and maybe are not treated well, or something happens that causes them to stumble. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought all of us should really think about how do we take care and handle people who have come as new members, but also young members, and how important it is to just reach out and love them and care for them and make sure that they feel loved and supported. And then he goes on to this kind of interesting part where he says, you know, boy, uh, woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. And so he says, wherefore, if thy hand or thy foot offend thee, cut them off. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. I mean, he's pretty strong here. And and he says, it's better for thee to enter into life with one eye that rather than have two eyes to be cast into hell fire. And then he goes, take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven, their angels do always behold the face of my father, which is in heaven. Now, when we talk about these two in terms of, uh, you know, cutting off the hand, the foot, the eye, I really do think that what he's trying to tell us is that these are different. Matter of fact, if you look at the Joseph Smith translation, let's let's look at that in terms of 9a. He says, and a man's hand is his friend and his foot also, and a man's eye are they of his own Hmm. household. Yeah. And so, wow, had you ever read that one before? Yeah, that's, that's news to yeah. me. And so, what he's talking about is when we, you know, talk about our friends and we talk about the people of our household and offend those people, you know, we need to stop doing that. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. We need to stop right. doing that. And um, 
And then looking at, you know, when... Well, when and I thought it was also that if you have a friend that is pulling you away, you know, that we also, offends you, right. that you have to, you know, so distance yourself. Right. That if you've got family members that, you know, are are causing you to make really bad choices, that you can still love them, but you may love them from afar. And it goes back to this idea of causing us to stumble. Right. So it's both sides. If if someone is causing us to stumble, we need to stop those relationships. Mm -hmm. But also, we can't be the cause of that nice. stumbling of somebody else. I do want to share just um, on one occasion, President Joseph F. Smith said this, and, and I thought about... Uh, my relationship with my children and with other children that I'm with, he says, you can't force your boys, no, your girls, into heaven. You may force them to hell by using harsh means in the efforts to make them good. Ouch. When you yourselves are not as good as you should be, the man that will be angry at his boy and try to correct him while he is in anger is in the greatest fault. He is more to be pitied and more to be condemned than the child who has done wrong. You can only correct your children by love, in kindness, by love unfeigned, by persuasion and reason. And of course, he's there um, and quoting who said section this? 121. This is uh, Joseph F. Smith Okay, when he was prophet. It still counts, but it was a while ago. <laughs> it still counts. It still counts. But I will say this idea of, you know, we can't force people. I mean, that's what Satan tried to do. And instead, it is only through love and kindness and not offending or causing them to stumble that we are going to not give offense and instead love people into the kingdom of God. And that is the way we're supposed to act. So I wanted to ask you, you know, what is your thoughts and feelings about this whole concept of offense and how we have to stop doing it, stop doing it? Yeah, I mean, I love, I, I think I love people that are not easily offended. I love people that oh, are not easily true. offended. I'm not sure, I you do. know, you know I those do. people, and um, the minute you meet them, yeah, like you're like the salt of the earth kind of person. Yes, <laughs> it feels like that. That trait is very clear right away when you meet somebody who has it. And yes, and it and it and it also I guess what I see with when we're talking about casting someone out or um if you are one of those people that cannot that doesn't take offense, you wouldn't have to cast anyone out. Because then you can just love and live with them as they are mm -hmm. and and show them the love and, and not stumble yes and not, stumble not stumble because mm -hmm. you wouldn't have to and i think that that is the state i want to be in i want to be able to um live with people as they are and show them that love whatever place they're in and whatever mm -hmm. they're choosing to do with their life I um that. i agree so I, agree. I guess that's the way I see and it. And that kind of brings us back to this who is my neighbor mm -hmm. and the Good Samaritan. And how do we love people who are wounded and need healing? How can we help heal them just as the Good Samaritan helped heal, heal, heal the man Without going to Jericho? Without bankrupting ourselves. And I love that the Good Samaritan didn't stay by his side for a week and not attend to the business he needed to. Right. But he went to his business mm -hmm. and then came back. Practically. So he did it while he was doing it. 
And I do think that's, I think sometimes, not that we give too much, but that you burn out. And the Lord isn't requiring that. He's requiring that we balance. Mm -hmm. And so even with, um, you know, not letting people stumble, it's the key is that we find those lines so we can balance. Because we may not be at that point where we can do everything, Mm -hmm. where we can have everybody in our life. But we need to stretch, but we need to balance as well. So I did want to end with section 121. Just because I think for me, it kind of shows, it brings everything together in terms of what we're talking about. And this whole concept of no power or influence can or ought to be maintained by virtue of the priesthood, only by persuasion, by long-suffering, by gentleness and meekness, and by love unfeigned, by kindness and pure knowledge, which shall greatly enlarge the soul without hypocrisy and without guile. And and then this idea of Proving betimes with sharpness when moved upon by the Holy Ghost, and then showing forth towards afterwards an increase of love. So I hope and pray that as we move forward, that we will think and ponder upon how we can act more like the Good Samaritan and how we can love and care for all of our neighbors all around us, close by and far away. So thank you for the discussion today. Thank you for watching Women Read Scripture. We hope to hear from you. Please write your comments below. Also, subscribe to our channel. We hope to see you again.